Namaste. When we read Shurabindo, especially works like The Life Divine, it appears that he is taking us from one mountain peak to another. And sometimes, but he's not, he's carrying us actually, not just taking us, he's carrying us. But when you are carried by such a wonderful master in his arms, you may tend to miss out something on the way. So we will see that in each chapter, he slightly returns back to the point. It's like at times a bit of back and forth so that we don't miss any detail. All the entire scenery of the Himalaya, he wants us to understand because to understand anything in creation, we have to understand the whole or rather more than the whole. That's why the Vedas, the Upanishads say that only by knowing the all, the one who is the all can anything be known. Without that, we cannot know anything. So he is ensuring that we know that one and on that basis, every little detail we understand. So uh, he takes us to this, you know, we often believe, uh, we know, yes, already revealed to us what is true knowledge, knowledge of oneness, what is a knowledge which is by division. So how does this knowledge operate now in terms of ignorance? So he gives us an example of our surface consciousness. And there are four operations of uh, within us through which we come to know of anything. So the first operation is where we know things by identity. How do I know a thing by identity? Its best example is we know that I am. You can't prove it. You know it. <laughs> I am. By some kind of vague identity that you are. If somebody tells you, look at give evidence, show me. So, But you know that you exist. So it is self-evident. It is a state of complete identity. And then there is a knowledge, form of knowledge, which is a direct knowledge, where you become something. Here it is being, you are. Then you can become something, and even though you don't, we don't know the roots, but yet we can understand, we can know. And the typical example is when anger enters us, we become angry. And what do I say? I am angry. Now this, I am angry, how do I know? Because I have become. It's a direct contact. It's not based on, I may be angry and nobody may get to know about it. So, but yet I am angry. Then the third way of knowledge is, there is a direct contact, but there is some degree of separation. For instance, anger is passing through me and I observe that I am angry. It is again a direct contact. I know that I am angry. <laughs> Don't push such a person. <laughs> so, are you really angry? <laughs> and then, you know, he will identify with it. So, there is a direct contact. I know that I am angry, but there is a little bit of separation. And this separation I can maintain to understand the phenomena in terms of its objective object or I can identify with it. And again, there is a the third type of knowledge may graduate into the second type. Now, this is easy with regard to certain vital movements, anger, lust, greed, fear, but very difficult with terms of thought. But here also, it's possible to know that I am thinking. 
So this is a kind of direct contact but with a little bit of separation. Who knows that I am thinking and we can follow the chain of thoughts. So thereby this, this, this is direct contact but with a kind of separation. And the fourth is a completely separative knowledge. And that is what we, is the knowledge of the world around us. And it's so separative because each thing is as if enclosed in a little box. And in that box there are some windows cut out. Or let's say room, box is too claustrophobic. Okay, we are in little room. But nature has provided some windows because we have to also communicate with the world. And some kind of a oneness should be maintained in one way or the other. And these windows are the senses. So these senses, what do they tell us? They tell us about the appearance, the surface. I see a person seething and I may derive this conclusion that the person is angry. And from there I may infer because my emotional mind may come in and say the person is angry with me. And the person may end up saying that no, no, I am not angry. I am just hungry. You see children, so because my contact is totally I am separated from the object. By the senses, we learn something about the appearances. But appearances are not knowledge, obviously. It's just a little surface. So then what is done is to these appearances, we add our emotional mind. That's why they say it colors. So based on the appearance, I also draw the inference from my past data. Of It's like a rapid scan going on in the brain. You know, you have met people. Also, there are mindsets. Uh, there used to be at one point of time, I remember... Um, how racism used to, you know. So there was, uh, long back on one of the railway stations, my parents saw, there was an African around and they said, Habshi hai, don't go near a Habshi. Habshi, basically, I asked them, what is Habshi? They said, no, no, they can eat man also. Cannibal. Now, it is true of a very remote part of Africa. They are beautiful people, very nice people. One of the finest people, very... You know, the emotions are so nice. They are rooted to the ground. But that mindset is there. So you, the moment you go, your perception is colored. And based on all this, that's why people nowadays say that, you know, one should not be racist and then uh, don't have, uh, you know, don't judge people by their color and all these things. Because this is how we fail to know the reality behind uh, a human being. And if this is true of human being, it is much more so of all else that is there in the world. So, uh, this knowledge is a separative knowledge. So, based on that, we construct a whole universe, which is our own private world in which we live as its residence. But obviously, this private world has little to do with reality. So, we miss the real and live by appearances. That's why the mother at one place said, our science is a science of appearances. So when we see or hear about the virus, we believe it's just a virus attacking. But behind this kind of surface knowledge, there is a deeper subliminal. That's what Mother has spoken about, Mother and Shurabindo. And it, we can see it in dreams. Sometimes the subliminal awakes because the hold of surface nature is much less. Or in yogis, by the development of consciousness, there may be a separation from the surface and other means of knowing can come. There could be a direct contact with the subject penetrate it, envelop it and we may come to know. That's how when Mother and Shurabindo said that behind the virus there is a suggestion, there is ill will and there is a or rather an adverse formation 
and a suggestion of fear so that comes and on based on the and in addition there are collective suggestions so what we see as a virus uh, there is a host of things behind which the subliminal can catch and actually it is uh, not difficult to understand uh, especially in the corona people must have felt uh, in those days that as this whole thing started there was a kind of undercurrent of fear it was so palpable you could almost feel at your throat that there is something which is trying to choke you because it was a suggestion but uh, one has to reject it but this is a subliminal kind of knowledge then if this subliminal knowledge begins to grow in man what we normally do is we discourage it we say no no, no this is all uh, this is not true so we get glued to the surface we fall back upon these means of knowledge these means of knowledge derive from a truth but they are exercised on the surface um, waking self where they you know the instruments are not there to truly exercise it and so we constantly uh, live with error and if this subliminal begins to extend itself then it can enter into the cosmic consciousness and when it is in the cosmic consciousness it envelops the whole uh, you know cosmos and individuals and beings and therefore a different kind of knowledge begins to uh, emerge a knowledge which is more or less like a direct contact but with a little bit of separation if necessary but this knowledge is the proper place where all this direct contact and knowledge by identity actually come from but on the surface consciousness it is misapplied the powers are the same and if we go beyond the cosmic consciousness we enter into the spiritual consciousness the true spiritual consciousness the divine consciousness how do we know there we know there because everything is myself so there is the one self has become all these different becomings so this is the only way to get to the real knowledge behind everything is to ascend through these layers from the surface to the subliminal through the subliminal into the cosmic and from the cosmic to the divine self then one can truly know short of it there will be always mixture of error even in the subliminal there may be pouring in from the superconscious like flashes but there is also a mixture from the subconscious so in the subconscious there are li- there lies every small little detail which we have observed is lying in the subconscious it throws up and it interferes with our knowledge even when a human being changes you will continue to believe the person is the same why because the subconscious impressions are like that and sometimes people carry it uh, you know in childhood when people have had traumatic experiences let's say with father or mother they carry it as a kind of imprint and they later on any father figure i have seen people who uh, whose father was bearded and he had you know was bit violent when they grew up they had a dislike for anybody with a beard because you know they had this subconscious imprint was there and it was interfering with their knowledge that this person is a bad person just because the person has a beard equally i have seen people who had a very very difficult parenting with regard to their mother and i have seen they find difficulty even to connect to the divine mother because the word mother they associated with this and then i have to remind them that look here if such was the case then who can solve it but the one divine mother so that's the way that if you had this experience but they have con- agreed that you know the word mother we don't like because they had a kind of experience with their own mothers so th- this knowledge is a very mixed domain we call it knowledge but actually it is largely appearances even when it is not appearances it is a terrible mixture 
even in the subliminal we cannot be sure in cosmic consciousness we can be sure to an extent but in cosmic consciousness there is the cosmic spirit which has both sides cosmic truth and the cosmic ignorance as well because you see the cosmic spirit uses both for our evolution so if you identify with the cosmic ignorance it may create a totally a different um, view of things see that's why we see uh, ravana identifying with the cosmic ignorance he was a very large vital he had entered into that kind that's why he could trap and tap all these by his tapasya he could tap all these beings of the subtle world but it was a cosmic ignorance a knowledge gained which was useful only for the operations of ignorance somewhere deep within he knew that rama is my lord but for rama ravana was none else but his other self so see the difference between the two and therefore the dealings was very different then we have um, the boundaries of the ignorance as we have seen that well from the surface we enter into the subliminal and through the subliminal now why this uh, problem comes in there he describes that because separate ego individualities had to be formed and this individuality serves the function of Uh, maintaining the individual or creating the individual on whose basis the evolution has to proceed the one became the many of course this becoming the many may have been in two ways one was there would have been no evolution like the original central being and the divine so we all would have been typal beings fixed forever each one would have been what we are meant to become through a long process of evolution so this one shobindo doesn't uh, at this point say why we plunged except that there was a greater delight and an adventure for which we took this plunge but the moment we take the plunge we accept the conditions of ignorance and we have to evolve over a period of time now in this process of evolution we have first of all the inconscient so inconscient is again formless it is it doesn't have boundaries it is the shadow of the infinite above but individualities if they have to be created they have to be created by setting boundaries so what sets boundaries initially at the level of life it is the life mind which sets boundaries to affirm itself to save itself safeguard itself and then the mind comes in and it creates still more hard boundaries so these boundaries are essentially the ego boundaries behind it is the psychic and spiritual consciousness but it is required first to establish life to affirm itself later on when the time is ready and the ego is ripe it will actually it falls away because the psychic begins to emerge prematurely if you one drops it one may enter back into the disintegrating state and the inconscient so this is how the boundaries are created and because of that there is a further problem in understanding uh, between self and not self this boundary create the sense of this is me and this one is not self and we can have several examples we call it as our house uh, my house sometimes you know even when we are guest to some place so we think it is my place but isn't it true that actually no place is your place this has been typified by that typical sufi story that a person came to see a master and he saw the master with very scant things so he asked him that you know uh, that that ha um, huh, he saw it with very few things so he asked him that why are you living with so few things so he asked the man who had visited why are you carrying so few things because he was also carrying very few things is it because i am a traveler so the master said i am also a traveler 
<laughs> I'm also a traveler. Of course, our yoga is different, but it's to say that this idea that this is mine, this is me, and to affirm it often against others who are not me and not mine, this creates uh, very strong, rigid boundaries, which become which further reinforce the ignorance. So already there is ignorance; it reinforces it. So where does it originate this ignorance? So um, there are some very beautiful examples Shravinda gives that how all the time ignorance and knowledge and that which is beyond the two is always connected. So um, obviously why this chapter is important because very often people speak of the soul and the ignorance. That's it. You read any standard book of spirituality, it is an ignorance which is due to prakriti and you have to come out of ignorance. So what does it mean? Prakriti is ignorant, okay. But see, if you see the working of Prakriti, there is even within it an operation of knowledge. And leaving that aside, now if Prakriti is ignorance, where did it originate? Is it is its origin in the Absolute? If its origin is in the Absolute, that means there is Absolute himself has ignorance within him. But this is a contradiction of terms. So we have already talked about all that maya, vidya maya and avidya maya. But suffice to say at this point that prakriti cannot be ignorant in its origin. So why does it become ignorant? That divine shakti. So here we can take an example. A man is given a certain role to play. And he plays the role. Now when he plays the role, he has to become let's say Rama or he has to become Ravana in that play. So, for a moment, he forgets. Now, what is ignorance? He forgets that he is this person. And he brings that into his role. He, he assumes that role. So, at that point of time, he forgets that he is actually neither Rama nor Ravana. Yet, the beauty is, even though he forgets, any actor, something of him is flowing into this character. Each character you give to each human being the same role. They'll play it differently. It is very interesting because uh, that's why it is said that when a, you know you do the role of a villain and you do it with perfection, you know somebody who has been a hero, let's say, you say that wow, this is something fantastic because you know uh, it is not in that person's nature, and yet he has done it to perfection. So the next step is where one forgets even one's own full character. And completely identifies for that moment with the character of Ravana, with the character of Rama. There are instances, one famous instance is our serial on Ramayana which had come. And this man said that my life changed after it. Same with the man who played Krishna for the Mahabharata serial previous, Nitish Bharadwaj. He said my life changed. This Arun Govil, as far as I know, he couldn't do any other role after that. Same with the one who did Shiva Puran, Mahadeva Ke Dev Mahadev, because it's very difficult. You have identified with the character. So, though he knows inside that he is not actually Shiva, he has neither the power nor anything of Shiva, and yet, in all his life, he started identifying so much with the character. And that's why it is said that, you know, when you love the divine, when you love somebody, you begin to identify with that per person and you can even forget yourself. That's why it's so important to know whom you love. So, yet at the same time, all the knowledge is there. You may have forgotten yourself and yet, any time this knowledge can awaken. You know, there is a story of Shiva, uh, not Shiva, uh, Vishnu Bhagavan. He, 
Shiva also comes in this story. So he is, uh, there are six, uh, you know, six of his devotees, they are in some Naglok and they call him, they are Bhaktas and, and Vishnu Bhagwan is a God, so he has to respond to Bhakti. He is not a rational, he is not like practical person, no, no, I can't leave my home. He actually leaves and goes there. And poor Lakshmiji is very unhappy about this whole situation. And he is there and they are feeding him and making him and he is, uh, you know, because he is, Vishnu Bhagavan is forgotten. Now he has become uh, an object of bhakti for them. So, they know that he is Lord Vishnu, but Lord Vishnu has forgotten who he is. So, finally, Lakshmiji goes and requests Shiva and Shiva comes and Shiva challenges him. So, when he challenges, Shiva challenges him, then um, he first uh, starts responding. So, Shiva increases the heat. So the two end up in a fight. At one point, um, I think he becomes Rishabdev, that's the avatar, I may may have forgotten. He finally ties him. Then he fully comes out as his Vishnu Sarup and takes the Sudarshan Chakra. He says, you can't do this to me. So then he does pranam and says, that was my purpose to remind you. All the time he is Vishnu, all the time he can reclaim it, but he has forgotten and he becomes this. So this is the way we see the origin of ignorance. Without it, uh, this fullness of knowledge could not have entered into the details of creation. It was impossible to enter into every detail. And it has to go there in the detail and not just create something. It has to maintain it. You see, there is a difference. So, uh, you like uh, creating details is easy. You go there and let's see, you make a building. Or you make a small little thing. But now you have to maintain it. Maintaining means you have to either be there, present there, or in some way or the other, you have to find a way to constantly communicate. And over a period of time, then you become that, because that's how it is. You are someone, it's like a soldier on the duty. So he has to maintain a post for one year, two years. You ask a soldier about his family, you know, don't go by all this movie and chitiai, yes, that's true. But if he lives in that kind of emotional state, he cannot be what he is there. So, at that point of time, he identifies with that battalion as his family. So much so that if somebody, there is some hurt to a member in his battalion, that's the time he gets furious. Much more than he gets to know about, you know, back home with people and he really lives there. So, you have to maintain. Now, how does this maintenance is possible? Only when the all consciousness creates a little vortex of energy. Let's say the body is a formation. So, the same consciousness which is the all consciousness acting in every body. But in each body, it must create a knot and fix it there and keep it fixed. If it just creates and says, okay, I've done, I've created human beings. Fine. It will collapse the moment it withdraws. It's a formation, a knot. So, As long as form is not built, there is no problem. The moment you have a form, you have to maintain. Because all forms are in their, at bottom formations. They are maintained by a kind of energy vortex. That's why in human beings, it's that system of energy vortex is called Kundalini. What is Kundalini? The universal is entering and becoming this much. But all the time it is behind. But it has tied a knot and tied the jiva in front. And it has itself gone there and forgotten itself. If it starts undoing the knot, then it will disturb the balance. There will be no creation. So, uh, the jiva has to stay there till it is ready and step by step it is opening. There is a whole process. 
it ties the knot and enters into the you know through the hundred and one knots that's how one of the upanishad describes nadi ek shatai cheka this the being is tied by hundred and one knots of nature now imagine if any of these knots say oh no no you are not that i am not this i am shakti what will happen to the jiva will collapse but that's precisely what happens during death so due to attachment to the form we are completely then tied to it further and the ego reinforces it then shobindo elaborates it, this exclusive concentration of consciousness force and the ignorance so it is this exclusive concentration which is a temporary practical necessity it is not cut off from the all consciousness first of all we must understand every element of prakriti is informed by the full all consciousness behind there is infinite shakti behind every atom of existence and that's what is revealed to us in the story of the kena upanishad where and it has practical implication where you what what does the eternal do picks up a blade of grass and asks the gods gods are working in creation to fix formations they also create lovely formations so he says i am agni i can take everything i am the origin i have given birth to everything because agni is the one who is creative fire but where does its power come from from the eternal so the eternal says take this blade of grass and it cannot why you i am the one who expands everything expand this make it fly it cannot so behind everything there is the all shakti without it even the gods are not capable they don't have the power so all power comes from the one now in the consciousness of the divine it's a continuous flow when you ask a person sitting in uh, who is the top most person let's say in the city he is supposed to know everything which house who is the maintenance engineer he has all the list and he will say okay we have to direct it there he will give a hotline he knows but the man sitting there may not know he just knows his immediate boss so when we look at it from the divine perspective ignorance is nothing else but a special action of the all conscious force at any point of time he can say this engineer is not working well you be out and replace that is the power i'm sorry it's not only engineers even doctors it can say you are not doing the job well i wish but there is a reason why even that is allowed and we will come to that in the next chapter so but the person out there thinks he is there by his own power by his own uh, energy by his own will and therefore he acts like that he doesn't know the all consciousness so this is the difference between somebody caught in the ignorance and somebody who is living in that consciousness which is at once all knowledge omniscience and at once all power omnipotent so this idea that there is this ignorance in which the soul is trapped soul cannot be in ignorance because soul is coming from the same eternal that we have already read eternal and the individual but the soul can enter into ignorance for the sake of um the purpose which he'll reveal subsequently for which it has gone there and to be trapped in ignorance there must be a strong ego formation around it so that even when it is aware that i am not supposed to be this i am not supposed to be here the ego formation will say no sir will not let you go so there will be a war between the ego and the soul mara and buddha as it is said krishna and kansa say i will not let you go it has taken millions of years to create this house and the soul will say i want to demolish demolition is not allowed also you have to find the door to which through which you connect to the all consciousness and that all consciousness will pour in 
and change this lower formation into the higher. That is the whole plan. So then Shirobindo takes us to the origin and remedy of falsehood, error, wrong and evil. So is there any of these things in matter? Obviously not. The stone is neither wrong nor erroneous. It works fixed to its law. There is no possibility of falsehood in it. It's a limited thing. That's all we can say that of the all consciousness, it's a very limited something. But can it be used for evil? Yes. You can pick up a stone and use it for evil. The stone itself is not evil. Or you can charge a stone with evil intent and use it. People are capable of doing it and they do it. So its origin is not in matter. Is falsehood there in the all blissful absolute? Again, that is an impossibility. So where does it come and why does it come? It is the result of the ignorance and its extreme result. That's how Shivinda puts it. The extreme result of avidya is evil and ignorance. How it becomes evil and ignorance? There is this separative life living on the surface, doesn't understand anything about anything. Yet there is an impulse in it to affirm itself. This is given by nature. Otherwise there will be total chaos. Otherwise there will be complete destruction. And it has to in affirm itself against a world it feels it's against the world which it doesn't know against others whom it regards as not self so what does the this ego individuality do it starts uh, affirming itself and the ego because all behind there is this sense of the universal it also has a tendency to universalize but it starts doing it by stamping its ego on everybody it wants you know like you will see Typical example is when you will see in some some of these uh, rallies, you will see everybody wearing the same uh, mukhata mask. So what is it? That it is stamping itself on everyone. Everyone should become like that. So its extreme tendency is that if you don't uh, follow my God, if you don't follow my religion, if you don't follow my way of life, not only follow, if you don't believe in it, we will exterminate you. So you see how, do, how is evil originating? It's originating in the vital and the mental world. It is not there in mind. It is, uh, it is not there in matter. It is not there in lower life forms. In lower life forms, nature has just given an energy which is enough for it to survive. In the lower life forms, in the plant and the animal life, there is suffering, pain, but not evil. Subtly not conscious evil. Now this suffering and pain is given by nature. It's a blessing actually. Because that is how it affirms itself. The moment there is something painful, the animal stays away from that. So it's a boon actually. It's a gift. Otherwise again you can't affirm life in ignorance. So it animal is given this sense of suffering and, uh, and it doesn't understand the larger context of things. Some animals can. So it's two examples. We must have read that Androcles and the lion. So somebody saved the lion from, took away the thorn and the lion was grateful. Please don't try this. Because the instinct in the lion is to devour. If you get near. Sometimes people don't understand. Even with dogs they do it. So there is a way to handle dogs. Suddenly somebody goes and feels, oh so nice. Now that dog's knowledge is based on sensations. Now, if you have either fear or if you are not dog friendly or God loving, <laughs> whatever, and you start puchkaroing a dog, the dog doesn't understand. It's not his fault. It may just suddenly grab your 
you know, hand or shirt because it's not evil. It just wants to preserve itself. And the only mechanism it has is to react this way. So there is a limitation of knowledge and a limitation of will, both. Limitation of understanding and a limitation of action. So both these knowledge and will are very limited and therefore there is pain and suffering possible at the vital level when these animals are animal creation. But with the coming of mind, something else gets in, which brings in evil. Because there is a formation of the ego. There is an ego formation in animals. There is a vital mind which does build a kind of structure around it. An animal does want to save itself. It's not ego in that sense, but it wants to safeguard itself. But with coming of the mind, it wants to safeguard not just its physical formation, but all its world of thoughts, dreams, hopes, everything. So there is desire and there is the ego. And they are the ones because there is lack of knowledge, true knowledge. And because there is lack of power, true power, lack of response. Therefore, there is evil which can afflict all those who are around. So there is a wrong relation formed by the ego self with the world around. Wrong uh, action as a result of the wrong relation. So if this was all, it was still okay. But in the process of involution, in the process of creation, each world were created. Now each of these worlds are limited worlds. In these worlds, ignorance is operating. In the mental world, not the overmind, but as it starts coming down, the uh, limitation starts coming in. Some kind of ignorance starts coming in. So you will see that even in some of these worlds of the gods, not the true gods, but the lesser gods, there is a play of ego and something which can almost look like evil. You know, they don't like, uh, let's say, human being advancing. Why? Because my throne will be taken away. Because again, we see that sense of separativeness. Avidya takes hold. And when we go into the vital world, there are actually creatures who not only want to expand their empire, they actually can be very hurtful. This is a whole occult side of creation which we don't know. And that was known to ancient occult mystics. And we can, you know, understand, uh, actually know them through the process of yoga. They are called as hostile forces, adverse forces. In ancient India, they were known as Asuras, Rakshasas, Pishachas. So who were the Asuras? Asuras were beings in the mental world. So again, they lived by completely separate ignorance and they wanted to expand their empire. So they are the Asuras. So they use their own instrument to expand an ideology. But because it doesn't take into consideration all other ideologies, that's why it is ignorance. It can be very dangerous to the entire world. So this is, these are the Asuras. So Asuras at a human level are very intellectual people. They have studied in universities which teach, uh, they, which strengthen the mental ego. And um, they are very intelli- intellectual people. But the hallmark is that they live for the sake of the ego. Heart is often cold and there is tremendous passion and ambition in them. So intelligence Intelligence is not the right word. Intelligence has beautiful meaning. But intellectual capacity plus passions or ambition, very little of heart, love, some love has to be there in creation. So that creates an asura. 
and then when you have so they are very people get very impressed by their knowledge uh, not realizing ki it's all here not here so this is their hallmark and they want to basically expand their empire so if you see typical asuras ways they will catch you they will try to you know um either forcibly give you knowledge <laughs> because that's what they know or find ways and means to expand their uh, empire of you know amongst humanity then there are the rakshasas rakshasas are on the vital world they just devour the energies it they are like that then asuras can be very deceptive because they can impress people rakshasas can't impress by their intellect but they are brute forces so they are again separative completely in that state of ignorance but they are there in as part of the cosmic uh, plan of beings and below them are the pishachas pishachas are actually sub physical sub vital beings what do they do they literally suck your energy so that's what they are um, not good people <laughs> and most of the time they are created by disembodied vital when people die and sometimes you'll see you know um, that's why in olden times it used to be if you go for cremation come back and take a bath because these fellows are very active there bhutas pishacha they're not dangerous otherwise i mean one should never be afraid of anything in this creation because one carries the eternal brahman within but one should know what is what so they are looking for some body literally body not somebody where they can latch on they are dead but there is a period in which they are disembodied so they are looking are if i get a body so most of them will take on an animal body and exhaust their tendencies or enter into the lower vital planes where they'll merge but sometimes if they find especially in premature deaths accident scenes of accidents etc so one is suddenly come out of the body or in wars bombings and they're looking for bodies to really latch on to so if they find a body they latch on to because they have to live they want to live but to live they have to enter a form and they latch on and they start sucking the energy of the form so when they start sucking the energy of the form one starts uh, experiencing all kinds of uh, disequilibrium but the interesting part of these rakshasa and asuras they don't destroy easily because if they destroy the form then so that's why because they but when they want to grow immense then they start feeding on a mass scale they start you know using human beings as the instrument start influencing them even possess them and such people become centers of a great destruction but the problem is that when they become centers of a great destruction they want to become immense by this process but at a point of time they collapse because they are not absolute there is nothing like absolute evil it neither exist actually it doesn't exist even in the inconscient unless we say that as consciousness emerges the possibility is there it doesn't exist even in the absolute unless we say that as it will take a plunge and go towards ignorance there is a possibility so to that extent yes but it doesn't exist at these two poles they come in between that's why one of the writings in the vedas say you will find truth only at these two poles at the spirit and matter all in between is a mixed up mind vital they cannot be trusted so this is how this evil is maintained so there are instrument of these forces 
which feed upon us, which want to expand their, again affirm themselves. And if they catch hold of somebody who is terribly egoistic, then naturally they will want to expand their empire through such a person. Such a being was Hitler, such a being was Stalin, Mussolini, and their hallmark is that they just want to expand um, not just their territory, but to any extent uh, they can go. Uh, it's not about any war, I must make that clear. But that uh, urge in various ways the Asura wants to expand. It's not just about physically capturing a land, but in many ways it wants to expand and destroy other things. So this is the origin of evil. What is its remedy? Well, if the origin is when nature has taken a plunge into ignorance, when all consciousness has become, it's very opposite in a way. Because in human beings, this actor analogy, we can always step back and say, oh, I am this. But all consciousness has gone still deeper and deeper. And it has gone into inconscient, the last possible point where it maintains itself. And then it vanishes. Completely forgets itself. So because of this complete self-forgetfulness. But it's there. And it will emerge through a long process of evolution. But it has gone into it and become its opposite. So consciousness becomes unconsciousness or inconscient. Delight becomes suffering. It's very opposite. Because it's forgotten itself. And yet within it, there is the delight. So it seeks some kind of joy, some way or the other. Because it's delight which has become suffering. Truth becomes falsehood. So what does falsehood do? It falsifies all the values of everything. It makes us prone not only to error, but to actually diverts, distorts, perverts truth. It has to pick up truth only and then it will pervert it. There is nothing else. I mean, at its origin, it's truth. So it wants that, but through these means. And um, life became death. So this is how we see that the very opposites were created as the consciousness plunged towards, tended towards ignorance and this ignorance, its extreme result became inconscient. And then in the process of emergence, there is a little bit of, as consciousness evolves, it cannot dissolve the form. So it has to evolve in a way that within every form, there has to be a balance between the consciousness and the form. So it cannot suddenly become all conscious. So step by step, step by step, until in human beings there is a possibility of joining the two poles of existence. The form and the formless, the all consciousness and the inconscient in human beings. So human beings are the field of this great struggle where the final evolutionary emergence has to take place. Now those who take this stand that it is all nature, is all ignorance, they say why all this soul has awakened, let it go away. But that was not the intent of creation. If that was the case, there would have been no creation at all. It was not a puppet game that the divine is playing. So the intent is eventually that on the basis of form, the formless can manifest. And what a form. A form which you cannot just dissolve easily. It is subject to disintegration, but it gives the sense of concreteness. In no other world one can find that concreteness. So on this basis of form, this entire inconscient journey of evolution, the great game of games... The transformation of this ignorant nature in terms of the higher supernature. That is the game of games. So everything in this ignorant lower nature draws itself from that higher supernature. An actor who is acting and becoming Ravana 
where is his strength and everything coming from coming from the same person who may be really like rama in his real life it is from the same that's why when the geeta says i am also the cunning of the clever ultimately it comes from there so it has to reclaim that energy and transform it and turn it into equivalent but without disrupting the form rather transforming the form so that is the challenge he will reveal to us in the next uh, part part 2 where he will speak about the spiritual evolution so here we'll just read just a few passages so in evil and ignorance it's important to uh, also to understand that often what we call as evil see because there is this all consciousness behind often good comes out of evil this very interesting phenomena in one of the letters of shurbindo tumrilani devi when uh, her brother one more brother has died shurbindo says i can understand your pain but we must trust god who often brings good out of evil and we see in shurbindo's own life the jail became a passage towards a greater freedom so in this how the world operates because the all consciousness is always behind at the same time this all consciousness because it has become all this can any time intervene and change the course of things so there is nothing like an absolute evil in which we have to suffer that's why a prayer a master act a king idea can link man's strength to transcendent force just as the divine has created outer means to tie us to this outer world or rather nature has created similarly there are inner means through which we can connect with the all consciousness it's a special privilege of man though even the dumb four footed their prayer is heard by the divine so this what and the second part is that often our idea of good and evil itself is very faulty so when we live in the vital ego we believe whatever is flatters my vital ego whatever is pleasant to me is good if something unpleasant happens to me it is not good something which is painful is not good this how we look at it at the same time the mind it also brings in its own set of values whatever affirms my ego is good whatever doesn't affirm my ego is evil not realizing that it may be just the other way round so first of all we must be clear that our very valuation of things is not right also we must understand that when we are acting at a given point of time this further leads to a complete forgetfulness of the self because we are aware of that moment not of the whole past which is anyways there within us and not of the future which we are aspiring to be but the all consciousness knows all the three coordinates this is the difference and that's why it supports it through the journey so we are not aware of i mean we may have done things they have hidden in the subconscious which will spring up but we also have an aspiration towards a beautiful future that's why the way out is to aspire 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 ultimately that strength is the one which will eventually act and break the bonds of the past so this is the logic behind uh, all this all these spiritual practices so we must human values of good and evil as of truth and error are indeed uncertain and relative what is held as truth in one place or time is held in another place or time to be error what is regarded as good is elsewhere or in other times regarded as evil so there were people who believed truly that you know all this wearing mask and all is not good but they were and places and you know world over no 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 he is becoming the subject of 
spreading the virus. So, you see, it was because it's a partial knowledge. We find too that what we call evil results in good, what we call good results in evil. Duryodhana did a great good to Angaraj Khan. But this was the good which opened the door to evil. So we must understand that our values are not necessarily. But this untoward outcome of good producing evil is due to the confusion and mixture of knowledge and ignorance. Because there is knowledge, it brings good out of evil. And because there is ignorance operating, it can any time turn a good into evil direction. This is the tussle that is taking place all the time. And then, just as there are these forces of ignorance, uh, Rakshasas, Asuras, Pishacha, let's not forget, there are forces of light, of good. But often people think that this darkness versus that good. But the absolute good is something still beyond. Uh, in him, that these two are reconciled. It is not the fundamental truth of good and evil. It might be objected that physical evil such as pain and most bodily suffering is independent of knowledge and ignorance, of right and wrong consciousness, inherent in physical nature. But fundamentally, all pain and suffering are the result of an insufficient consciousness force in the surface being which makes it unable to deal rightly with self and nature or unable to assimilate and to harmonize itself with the context of universal energy. So if we learn how to harmonize, that's why in supramental life the immunity will be spontaneous because we learn the truth of everything. Anything which is adverse enters its zone will get transformed into its truth. So this will be the big difference. And then he speaks of these beings. It is true that as we pass from the mental to the spiritual and that is a passage toward the absolute, a subtle wideness and an increasing intensity of light, of power, of peace, of ecstasy mark our passing out of our limitations. But this is at first only a sign of freedom, of height, of universality, not yet of an inward absoluteness of self-existence which is the essence of the matter. So even when we begin to evolve, into some wideness, light, there is always this susceptibility of being pulled back by these forces. So that's why Shubhinda was not content with an overmind creation. He wanted the perfect consciousness where there is no possibility of error. To this absoluteness, pain and evil cannot attain. They are bound to limitation and they are derivative. If pain becomes immeasurable, it ends itself or ends that in which it manifests or collapses into insensibility or in rare circumstances, it may turn into an ecstasy of ananda. This is a real experience. If there is constant pain after some time, it becomes insensible or it may even change into an ecstasy of ananda. So this is how, I mean, one can actually experience it because there is a constant impinging of that vibration. It may change, though it is rare. That's what Shurabindo was doing when he had uh, you know, because of the action of the hostiles where he had uh, fallen and his leg was broken. And he said that I never imagined that because it was the Second World War clouds. He said all his protection was with the mother. And these fellows will try to even enter here. But they entered. And then when he was lying, mother came, of course, immediately she came to know inwardly. And then people came and he was lying like a real, like a golden Purusha, Niruddha describes and when he was asked while she, you know, shifting the leg, the doctor asked him, is it paining? And he, Shivinda said, one can be above pain. 
And then he was asked that, what were you doing during that period? He was saying that uh, I was transforming pain into ananda. He said, earlier I, I had done it, but that was not pain of this intensity. So earlier was referring to the scorpion bite, which is there in one of his poem meditations of Mandavya, where he converted it into delight. So here was an opportunity and only the Lord can think like this, that okay, let me try this because if I can infuse consciousness of ananda even in this intense pain, it opens a new possibility for earth and mankind. So then, because, you know, we see that there is uh, this relativity of good and evil. Some people say that basically it's all relative. There is nothing like good and evil. But this is not true because as we grow in consciousness, there is a kind of awakening of an innate sense of good and evil. It is independent of the vital ego and the mental ego. And first it takes the form of a moral good and evil, a religious injunction or something from outside which human beings follow. But even that is not the ultimate truth. There is an ethical sense which begins to awaken where something within us says it's not right. And that is the psychic which alone knows what is good and evil in the true sense. And therefore psychic may um, accept things which may look like evil apparently. It may shun things which may look like good because its discernment is of a different character. Its good is whatever leads it toward the divine and evil is whatever holds it away from the divine. Mother said at one place that in a general way uh, you can say that whatever leads or tends towards unity, consciousness, light, peace, freedom, joy of being, fullness of being comes from truth. Whatever leads to confusion, disorder, um, all these things like anger, fear and all these movements, division, all that comes from evil and falsehood. So this is a general rule and um, it's good to remember that. And also the action, when falsehood acts, it makes the uh, being shrivel. It's like you throw smoke over a flower and when... Truth acts, it makes it bloom. So one can experience it within. When there is a state which is wrong state, there is a kind of inner shriveling, twisting. Even the face can get distorted. Whereas when there is a beautiful inner state, there is a blossoming, there is a state of inner happiness, inner joy, inner peace, regardless of anything outward. The sensational values of good and evil are inherent in the form of pain and pleasure. But the mental idea, the moral repose of the mind to these values are a creation of the human being. It does not follow as might be hastily inferred that they are unrealities, mental constructions only. And that the only true way to receive the activities of nature is either a neutral indifference or an equal acceptance or intellectually an admission of all that she may do as a divine or a natural law in which everything is impartially admissible. That is indeed one side of the truth. There is an infrarational truth of life and matter which is impartial and neutral. Nature is amoral and admits all things as facts of nature. But in human beings, because there is an evolution of consciousness, we cannot afford to remain completely neutral, indifferent to everything. We are not meant to be that. So where does this originate? This sense of uh, good it originates from the psychic being in man. So, 
Shubhinda gives us the solution at the end and we will close with that. This then is the origin and nature of error, falsehood, wrong and evil in the consciousness and will of the individual. A limited consciousness growing out of nescience is the source of error. A personal attachment to the limitation and the error born of it, the source of falsity. It's okay to be ignorant, but it is dangerous to be arrogant. So, if you are ignorant, fine. It's a process of evolution. But when we get attached to that kind of limited seeing and partial vision and believe it to be the truth, then we are opening doors not just to error, but to falsehood. So, there are two steps to come out, three steps to come out of this process. And Shubhinda gives this answer, which he'll develop in the part two of the next book. All our human mental measures are not going to work out. They are necessary to prepare mankind. You may imprison the evil doers. You may try, I mean, these are required as a temporary contingency. You may give all kinds of moral lectures, religious injections. There are very tough religious injunctions. And in spite of that, very often, perhaps because of that. See, there are, um, in Indian thought, at least in Sanatan Dharma, the only evil is regarded as crookedness where one turns away from the truth. That's it. But if you go into some of the Semitic religions, there is such a strong, this is right and wrong and you'll be punished, rotten in hell or you'll be burning, roasted under fire. You have to kill by... And strangely, in these very uh, religions, you will see the worst evils that have been committed. Because ultimately, that is not the root at all. It is not going to work. Even people start finding that as an excuse because that's how the mind plays. So that is not the remedy. Remedy is not another religion either. The remedy is to complete the spiritual curve of evolution. Um, we have left that Adam and Eve's beautiful state where there was no evil and no good either. The primal innocence of creation. And we have eaten the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So we have to go through that curve of good and evil, choose consciously good, reject the evil until finally we emerge into the plenary supramental illumination so that process is there are three steps first is the discovery of the soul not the outer soul of thought and emotion and desire but the secret psychic entity the divine element within us then we have the right guide at least something which can tell us what really is good and what is evil for instance duty towards your uh, family is regarded as good on that basis people judge buddha on that basis, people judge Sri Aurobindo. On that basis, people judge Sri Krishna. But not so the psychic entity. So this is the big difference that the mental thought can never understand this difference. So the psychic element knows what should lead each one towards the truth of their being and becoming. So that is the thing we must hold. And it is not an imitative thing because somebody has done this, therefore I must do this. In each one it will unfold differently. This is the first step of self-realization, to enthrone the soul, the divine psychic individual in the place of the ego. As long as the ego is there, do what one may, there will be evil and falsehood. The next step is to become aware of the eternal self in us, unborn and one with the self of all beings. So, widen into that cosmic consciousness where we do not see others as not self, 
but different becomings of the one self which is a different thing altogether this self realization liberates and universalizes even if our action still proceeds in the dynamics of the ignorance it no longer binds or misleads because our inner being is seated in the light of self knowledge and from there naturally things like forgiveness and all this compassion will come naturally flow because you know that the other person is bound to ignorance but deep within in everyone it is the divine self which dwells the third step is to know the divine being who is at once our supreme transcendent self the cosmic being foundation of our universality and the divinity within of which our psychic being the true evolving individual in our nature is a portion a spark a flame growing into the eternal fire from which it was lit and of which it is the witness ever living within us and the conscious instrument of its light and power and joy and beauty aware of the divine is the master of our being and action we can learn to become channels of his shakti the divine puja and act according to her dictates or her rule of light and power within us why because that takes at once in a single sweep a total cognizance of everything not only of us but of everyone of everything in creation our action will not then be mastered by our vital impulse or governed by a mental standard for she acts according to the permanent yet plastic truth of things this permanent is not a rigid fixed as we evolve the guidance evolves so according to the permanent yet plastic truth of things not that what is the permanent part that we have to move towards the truth so but it's plastic in the sense that gps constantly it keeps telling us if you have taken a detour how to get back you have taken a wrong turn how to get back so there is a plasticity in it. it doesn't say oh you didn't follow that road now abandoned so but yet it knows where we must go so the permanent and plastic truth of things our action not that which the mind constructs so mind can construct what is the higher truth what should be done not done mind standards but not according to that but the higher deeper and subtler truth of each movement and circumstance as it is known to the supreme knowledge and demanded by the supreme will in the universe so this is the remedy to emerge out of the partial uh, consciousness lit by the candle flares of the mind to emerge out of the vital and mental ego which believes that this light is only my property and meant for me this universe is only meant for me so we have to emerge out of that and instead of that replace this lower nature ignorant nature with the inrush of the divine shakti we should slowly invade and occupy all the fields where right now the lower nature with its ignorance is operating and when this higher consciousness can occupy this field where lower nature is operating completely change that field then the form itself will change as a natural consequence so this is the truth that shri arvind reveals to us rest he will reveal in the uh, next part of book 2 so how to take undertake this spiritual evolution what are its steps how does it take place within creation taking us to the grand culmination of the dream of the divine life नमस्ते अलोक दाशनल कुंडलिनी योगा 
inner being, the subliminal being, and and also because there has been a bias towards transcendence uh, over transformation. Was it given sufficient importance and the process understood in you know totality or I don't know what? But and is that also the reason why? Uh, unless we discover the psychic center, uh, you know, we would be open to all kinds of influences, and then uh, the lower chakras uh, opening first uh, uh, creates a lot of problems, uh, including a lot of mental health issues that we see. Yeah. Yes, it's quite so. So, actually, uh, an explicit, if we go into the traditional literature, uh, claims apart, there is, you know, people speak of soul. But nobody has spoken of soul as an evolutionary, you know, formation which evolves and becomes a psychic being. It's not there. It's hinted in a couple of Upanishads, the Svetashutar, the Katha Upanishad, uh, some places here and there. But it's not definitely this thought, if you want to put it, has not developed fully. And I suppose it's because if we take uh, the process of evolution uh, of the, you know, soul towards the psychic being, takes quite a few lives. This is what Shurabindu will reveal to us in the next part. So, it's quite likely that the full development to the psychic being had not actually taken place on earth. So, these yogas could not understand the real meaning of the mystery of God in the world and creation. What they called as the soul was the jivatma which somehow has got trapped into ignorance and has to free itself from that. So, there was this reflection somewhere falling because... Jivatma has that central being which is always with the divine and something of its ray was falling in the consciousness but to catch it and find in it as the nodus through which the divine in, reacts with the world or meets the world that was definitely missing it's not there in Kundalini Yoga I have, whatever I have read and even practiced to an extent and it's quite true that because the Kundalini opens from below upward it's there in that Pandit um, um, Gopinath Kaviraj, his book, you know, he had an accidental awakening of Kundalini. And in fact, incidentally, he had written to Shurabindo. There's a whole uh, two, three letters exchange with him. And Shurabindo said, it's a very specialized process and um, I don't undertake, but I can give you a guidance. He just gave him a general guidance. And then he said, you have to be with somebody who deals with this kind of a situation. Because when the lower chakras open, the individual... Uh, which is knotted inside, the knot opens and you enter into the universal, which is both cosmic truth and cosmic ignorance. And the powers and forces of those planes are much more than, they are superhuman actually. So that he discusses elsewhere that there are two kinds of superhumanity. One is the godlike and the other is um, titan-like, you know, daivik and asuric. In the Gita he says very clearly, they are superhuman by human standards. But definitely it is not the line of evolution that man should take. So the entire effort was to take it further and further because anyways, and it was to be done under the strict guidance of a guru. See this, uh, it's, Kundalini is a yoga which comes both in Tantra as well as in practices of Hatha Yoga originally. So you need that kind of thing. But in Shurabindu Yoga, of course, centers have to be opened. If one has to enter into the cosmic being, there is no other way but opening the centers. But in Shurabindu Yoga, it opens from above downwards. 
of course there is a way that from the mind you can take the soul beyond soul is involved in the mind so the gita doesn't speak of opening of the centers because its purpose is very different to make us a channel and center and instrument for god's work in the world so it starts with soul is involved in the mind meaning thereby it is identified with the mental body and mind which takes up the vital and the physical and from there it can find a door by which it can become jivan mukta a liberated being but a liberated being who becomes a jivan mukta and a channel for god's work in the world until god bids him release and draws him back to himself so this was the highest point that was touched ever and that was the gita otherwise it was always speaking of you know eventually uh, you know a liberation from this field of nature another point which is very interesting here since you raised it you see knowledge it's it's uh, easier to attain a state of um you know by drawing back from action in a state of passivity one can attain to knowledge but the problem is the moment you act there will be an exclusive concentration which shrivindo has spoken of so the, the the traditional yogas felt that because action implies a kind of exclusive concentration therefore action is not consistent with true knowledge so their process was that somehow use action minimize it use only certain actions ritualistic or those and enforced by a religion uh, until you reach a point where you can cut the knot of action and enter into knowledge shobindu says this again because nature is ignorant but shobindu says in the brahman the immobility and the um active consciousness consciousness the passive and the dynamic the nirguna and the sagun they coexist and which is so um, logical i mean if brahman acts as he acts in this world uh, so does it mean that he ceases to be immobile or when he withdraws so does it mean that he ceases to be operating in the brahman the dynamic and passive side are coexistent so because it is there in the brahman so because we are a portion of that who has entered into the earth nature we too can embody both together so there that's why there is possibility but otherwise action implies a narrowing of consciousness that's where the concentration process starts many people say that when we are doing something we forget but when we are sitting quietly we can remember and that's where from there this urge towards meditation exclusive concentration in a reverse way started but it's not necessary if we take the line of the gita uh, it's not necessary the two states can coexist and we take shurbindo who develops upon the gita to its ultimate possibility then because everything has its origin in the divine that's what the krishna reveals uh, i am the eternal seed and womb of everything then it's possible to be completely connected with the source even while we are acting which is how he closes it but this not for that the psychic being must come to the forefront otherwise if we start from the mind like raj yoga primarily start from the mind so it takes the mind as a you know station and through concentrations through certain activities of the mind replacing uh, uh, wrong tendencies by you know the right ones which is a good thing um, you can Uh, bring out this soul which is again involved in the mind towards higher and higher planes by the power of exclusive concentration till finally you reach the absolute and merge with him but then there is no um, idea of a cosmic consciousness no idea of an individual becoming active in the world and becoming its instrument and kundalini yoga of course uh, tried to synthesize nature and the divine in a interesting way it said that the steps of nature will ultimately climb to the doors of shakti so to that extent you know one has to give credit that the kundalini yoga did try to synthesize very bold attempt 
that uh, it is the same divine shakti which is involved in matter ultimately she who is uh, you know uh, dhumavati will climb and become tripur sundari siddhidhatri so this to that extent they took us to the doors of the vidyamayi maya but again she will grant you release which is an absurdity because if she has become this we can be with her be informed with her and return back streaming into our mind and life and body but this is something which only shurbindu says nowhere else we find this described perhaps it was not even envisaged maybe partial glimpse here and there uh, uh, one more participant is asking that with regards to good and evil uh, what is uh, the supposed good intention behind terrorism rapes and other such heinous crimes in the society how do we see them as a part of divine leela in a, uh, in the larger trust Oh, you see, it is a very interesting thing you have asked. If you look at the millennium, this millennium, <laughs> it started with a bang, a bang in India with Kargil War, uh, terrorism, a bang in USA with uh, the Twin Tower. See how it changed the entire geopolitical equation within the world. See, it's very unfair. There is a possibility to evolve without evil. but it's a possibility which seems near impossible once we admit that the extreme ignorance has become this as long as the mental ego supports it so if you see the america before uh, 2000 uh, kashmir struggle was uh, freedom struggle it was never it was aligned with pakistan until it got hit by whom by the very same people who was taliban it was a creation against russia so it was an evil which blasted upon itself that's what you are reading evil continues to grow till it implodes so in that sense again within india what happened the acts of terrorism they have brought to surface a reality a harsh reality which we are not willing to see and unless we see things existence straight in the face we don't find a remedy before that we were, we are very good we are all bonami everything is good all is good this was the darkest kind of uh, you know i would say openly the left liberal thought which had actually created a veil of asuric maya over the human mind all is good everybody is nice just say can say hello happy good morning and everything is fine it was not fine that evil had to be confronted it's like a pus and if a doctor says no i will not do surgery i'll give you antibiotics will become an antibioma you have to operate it but before operating one has to recognize so it was the action of the mental ego gigantic mental egos and vital egos you see if you see the last uh, few centuries such egos which traveled all over the world to conquer it last 1000 years uh, if you see the history of the world it is an expansion of the vital and mental ego but what it did in the process the goodness that existed before that both in india as well as in uh, you know europe in greece and uh, you know macedonia and all other places uh, egypt and all these regions so it was remaining fixed at a certain level the march of evil into civilization uh, really broke that entire order and it's um, it has created a ground for a new order to emerge so it its purpose what does terrorism and this kind of wanton evil does it breaks the old world order and well could we evolve from the old world to the new world in a beautiful way shrivindra says yes it is possible 
but then human consciousness uh, there is that little role that we have to play it uh, gets very attached to its limitations gets very attached to the extreme forms of mental ego and uh, therefore these catastrophes come to free us from its clutches so that a new order can be created but now there is a hope in the sense uh, again openly shirbinda is saying because see before shirbinda nobody even in envisaged this kind of transformation but now there is a possibility that at least a certain number of individuals if they can engage with the spiritual evolution not abandoning earth not abandoning creation not abandoning life and rushing into nirvana but if they are ready and willing to go through that process of purification without the destructive evil they will be shielded and once that next evolution takes place surely we would have entered into a, a safe zone and beautiful zone because it doesn't matter if it is few it's like when man came out of animal it changed the entire animal world similarly once these um, you know um, super supramental beings and before that spiritual spiritually evolved beings upon earth come come in they are already coming in so it'll change the balance of the human and the other world their mere presence is going to change so this has hastened evil hastens it is like something which hastens the whole process something which is lying buried for centuries it unearths and asks us to confront and make our choices again choices which we never made we took it for granted so when it brings them out we have to realign remake the choices and that's because it is the hour of god therefore it has been allowed to upset all the old balance so that a new balance emerges so that old balance upsetting is yada yada hi dharma siglani so see if mahabharata wouldn't have taken place everybody would have been very nice kaurava pandavas would have remained nice nice brothers but it would not have been a dharmaraj so it had to go to an extreme where eventually that whole civilization collapsed and out of that a new civilization could emerge that is the process at a large scale mega scale thank you so much sir for clarifying our doubts now with this we have reached the end of today's lecture and uh, we will observe a minute of silence and then we can start